Oh, here's a listener question. Dan, God gave me a passion, but not the talent to do it. Whoa, is that possible? Hey, I'm confused already. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there you go. It's springtime. Hey, if you need a tune-up, this is the time of year when we think about tune-ups. Whether it's your car, your air conditioning, getting the yard work done, a tune-up, great time to be thinking about. What is the tune-up you need maybe you need a major overhaul. Being a car guy, I keep thinking about those metaphors. Maybe you need a complete overhaul. A new engine. Well, we'll look at that. Here's some of the questions we're going to be talking about. As I said in my opening, there, somebody says God has given me a passion that is completely mismatched with the opportunities in my life. Interesting quandary. Somebody says, when I read this in 48 days, I stopped dead in my tracks. And a person felt like they were at the end of the road because that I'll tell you what they read and what I'm going to suggest to get through that around it and onward to success. Now that I have my own business, how do I find great employees? Dan, am I too old to begin the process of creating my own business? And somebody wants to know, how can I grow my comedy blog following and deliver more value to them? Well, a variety of questions. We'll weave in life principles as we go along. Got some resources for you. Hey, the resource I want to give you today is 48days.com slash webinar. Got another webinar coming up. I'm going to go through the 15 hours a week. Now, that's the most one of the most popular, I suppose, content messages that I've ever done for people. How to use 15 hours a week. If you are in a job and you want to start something on the side, how to do that. How to use those 15 hours to increase your opportunities in the job you have now or to get a promotion. So I'm going to be covering those principles, what you can do in that 15 hours that we all have. Believe me, it's there. I'll tell you how to find it. If you think you don't have time, you do. You just need to decide it's something that's important to you. But how to use that 15 hours. So that's going to be on April 22nd at 1 and 7 o'clock p.m. Central. So again, April 22nd, 1 and 7 p.m. Go to 48days.com slash webinar and sign up for that. Reserve your spot for that. Now, our quotation for today comes from Mary Kay Ash. You recognize the name from Mary Kay Cosmetics. See the pink cars all over the country? Well, she said, pretend that every single person you meet has a sign around his or her neck that says, make me feel important. Not only will you succeed in sales, you will succeed in life. Great principle. One of those that's easy to use, and it can transform the success that you've had and help you sell when you don't think that you know how to sell. Part of the questions that we're going to be looking at today. You know, I talked to an old friend today. Well, I shouldn't say an old, a friend that I've had for a very long time. That's the way to properly say that, perhaps. He just turned 50, so he's not an old friend, but I've, he's been a friend of mine for probably 20 years. And he, he told a story that I had not heard before, but he grew up 
actually grew up in a commune. His family grew up in a commune, so they had kind of an unusual kind of situation. His parents decided that was not the best situation for the family. They left. His dad started his own construction business, and this gentleman grew up and was finishing high school, assumed he was going to go to college, and his dad said, okay, would you rather go to college or be a millionaire by the time you're 25? Now, what do you think? What if somebody had given you that choice? Would you rather go to college or be a millionaire by the time you're 25? Now, he thought about it. I mean, he didn't just make a snap decision. He thought about it carefully, and his dad just left the question hanging out there for him, whatever amount of time he wanted to. And finally, this guy decided he wanted to be a millionaire by the time he was 25. So he worked with his dad in the company. They grew the company. They actually sold it. And this gentleman at the age of 27, was on the board of this company that bought the company he and his dad had started, and he did, in fact, have $2 million in cash in the bank. Really interesting. I may bring him out as a guest sometime to kind of unpack that story, but just I was intrigued by that question that his dad asked him, would you rather go to college or be a millionaire by the time you're 25? A lot of people are being confronted with that question right now. And we're seeing that just because you go to college may not add significantly to your success, be that financial or just in terms of meaning and purpose, having a fulfilling career. So there's a lot of choices to be made out there. But if you really do want to know how to get ahead financially, yeah, there's some interesting ways to do that that may not involve sitting in the classroom for a lot of time. Well, let's move on here. You know, I get the quarterly stats from the U.S. government about employment, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's always really interesting. Now, we've seen a lot of changes. Obviously, last year, unemployment spiked. I mean, went higher than been in 30 years because of COVID. Everything changed. Well, guess what? As of March of this, you know, that we just came out of, employment is up 1.8 million people more than it was in February of 2020. And the unemployment has dropped back down to 6%, which really, you know, we consider 5% full employment. So it's come way back down to where it was. So last year was a crazy year. There's no question about it. But in as much as a whole lot of things changed, there are Companies begging for employees now. I mean, everywhere you go, you see signs about that. And the unemployment is all the way back down to 6%. So uh, trust me, you know, we go through these things, everybody panics. Yes, it's challenging. But in the long scheme of things, we're back pretty much to full employment again. Among those, they always have these strange categories like those who are marginally attached, meaning they're kind of looking for work. And then they have this category that always blows my mind called discouraged workers, people who had not looked for work in the previous 12 months because they were convinced there wasn't any. This is that weird kind of category. And they've determined that there are 523,000 discouraged workers in March. Well, what we know, what you all know, is a whole lot of those people, they aren't just sitting there doing nothing. They figured out something else to do. And and if somebody who was unemployed, even if that was unwelcome and unexpected, 
you know, they go through that for three months and you're thinking, wow, this stinks. I know I don't need to be staying in this position. I'm going to figure out something on my own that I'm going to do. And so they do and they figure that out. You know, they start doing FBA where they're uh, buying products and selling those on Amazon. And all of a sudden they're making more money than they ever made in a, a previous position of any kind. They don't show up as standing in line at the unemployment office. They don't show up at all. And the only way to statistically categorize these people is, well, they must just be discouraged. They aren't even looking anymore. Nah, I'm confident there are not that many. Hundreds of thousands of people who are discouraged workers, they're people who are figuring other things out. Whether it's washing windows or mowing yards or tuning up cars. I mean, golly, we've got all kinds of stories about what things are what things people are doing these days. Well, some of the specifics in their statistics, non-farm payroll employment increased by 916,000 in March alone. So that's almost a million people. The, the numbers are up that much. Construction jobs added 110,000 in March. Employment, professional, and business services rose by 66,000. Manufacturing employment rose by 53,000. Transportation and warehousing, 48,000. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. Social assistance added 25,000 jobs. Employment at wholesale trades increased by 24,000. Retail trade jobs added 23,000. So this is not just in one category where you think, well, gee, restaurants need people. Well, sure they do, but there's a whole lot of anything you can imagine. Employment in mining added 21,000. That's not one that we would think would be at the top of the list. In mining, there's 21,000 new jobs in March alone. Financial services added 16,000 and so on. You know, this is just, it's a wild and crazy time out there right now. Here where I live in Florida, I mean, everywhere we go, I mean, Joanna and I come in all, how now hiring? Now hiring, now hiring, hiring, apply inside. I mean, just everywhere you go, there are signs out, every kind of business you can imagine, it seems. We recently were down in Fort Myers. We went down to Fort Myers uh, one afternoon to go through the Thomas Edison and Henry Ford Winter Homes and Museums down there. Just a, another great experience just to see how these two incredibly inventive, creative thinkers got their ideas out there. It was interesting to go through that. But we stopped. Afterward, at Joe's Crab Shack. Now, Joe's Crab Shack, you might recognize the name. You know, they're all over the country. And they have this beautiful place right on the Gulf. It's actually part of the, um, what is it? It's, it's really a river, but it's right there on the Gulf in Fort Myers. And it's beautiful. Just up on a little knoll overlooks that beautiful place. We drove up, we parked, we walked in and looked around. And golly, there was hardly anybody seated at all. And I talked to the young host there and he said, it'll be an hour and 45 minutes approximately. And I said, well, we aren't going to, you know, we're not going to wait that long. We'll go somewhere else. Thanks. And Joanne um, said she needed, needed a minute to go to the ladies room. And while she was there, I talked to the young guy and I says, you know, what's up with that? I mean, obviously you have primarily empty tables. I mean, 80% of the, I said, is it just because you don't have staff that there's that kind of way. He says, yeah, absolutely. He says, we have three servers. Now here's a place, they have a 425 guest capacity. And they had probably, probably maybe 40 people seated. So not even a 10th of their capacity. And they simply weren't seating people because they didn't have 
staff. He says, we can't get people to even apply. They had three servers in a restaurant like that. And, and we know, you know, servers here are going to make $25, $30 an hour in a place like that with their salary and tips, but they just can't find people. It seems like anywhere you want to go, you can get a job. I mean, our grandson just came here from Colorado. He got here on a Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. He had an interview, his first interview at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, a really desirable place. I mean, there are stories there about nurses who tried for three years to get on there because it's such a, a desirable place to work. He had an interview, you know, 10, 10 o'clock in the morning, boom, hired on the spot. Been working there now for, um, well, a couple months. Absolutely loves it, but um, that's how desperate people are. To So the employment situation is very, very good. That, that's part of a, our good news that I wanted to share with you because um, regardless of what you're hearing out there, there's a lot of good things happening in terms of profitability. We know that luxury items are in short supply. There's not enough, you know, bicycles, boats, jet skis, fancy cars, those kind of things around. People seem to be doing well. There's a lot of money available for any kind of investments you want to make. So a lot of things are looking good out there. I hope you are feeling the effects of the surge of success. Speaking of which, got a note here from a reader. Uh, Dan, when I finished high school, I knew I did not want to devote the next four years of my life and $100,000 to get into college education. After some research, I found a program called Pearson Accelerated Pathways, that allowed me to work with a fully, with fully accredited colleges to get any of the 45 plus degrees and a unique way that put me in control of my education. I'm proud to say that I just graduated with my bachelor's in business administration with a focus on entrepreneurship in just over a year and for just under $10,000. I did this while holding down a full-time job and coaching a policy debate competitive public speaking team. Now I'm deciding what problem I want to solve next in the world. If you can think of anyone who might benefit this program, I would love to talk more. Well, thank you so much for that note. My gosh, I love getting those kind of those kind of notes. Uh, so he got a full four year degree and just under a, uh, just over a year for just under ten thousand dollars. There's a lot of opportunities for that out there. Now you can go to this particular site if you want, and they do they'll connect you with. A lot of different colleges allow you to kind of handpick your program as you go through and figure out a way to do it on your terms. But it's PearsonAccelerated.com. I don't have any, I'm not particularly endorsing them, but it's just one of many where you can find an opportunity to do that. A couple other good news items here. And I love this. I got a couple of your want to focus on what young people are doing, what teenagers are doing. I mean, this is not an environment where you have to be a rocket scientist to come up with something new. Uh, looking at the the path of even like Thomas Edison and, and Henry Ford. Wow, I loved what that, I mean, those dudes did not fit in well in a schooling system when they were kids. You know, and Thomas Edison started, you know, selling, it was like selling lollipops from a little uh, wagon when he was like six years old. Interesting, interesting stories about how these two guys, it was just how they were wired, how they were born, how they thought they developed into these amazing inventors. We've got a whole generation coming up that may have those same kind of skills. You may have kids or grandkids as I do, where you see some of those unique abilities being developed as well. But here's an example. 17-year-old high schooler, Deja Taylor, submitted 
a surgical suture that changes colors to warn of possible infections. Now, this infection aimed at helping surgery patients in Africa and other places around the world, but detect infections before they become serious. So she submitted her idea. Um, she began her project a couple years ago, really, in her chemistry class at Iowa City West High School and took this from theory to an actual process. Her method uses beetroot, famous as any cook knows for turning everything red and purple. The pH of our skin is acidic and averages a five, while an infected wound raises that pH to a level of nine. And as it turns out, beets change color from candy apple red to deep purple as a pH level of its environment grows. So that's the basis of what she did. She says, I found that beets change color at the perfect pH point. That's perfect for an infected wound. And I thought, okay, so beets is where it's at. So the next step was to find what material held the dye from the beet juice. And she found a cotton polyester blend. So now that's being used as sutures and it will turn a deep purple if there's infection. Now that invention won her $25,000. She was also given the honor of speaking at a science talent conference. But just a great example. Here's a high school kid just figured out a simple solution, won $25,000 and something that's now being used in practicality, actually being used in surgeries in Africa and other places where people don't have access perhaps to ongoing care. And I talked to my Spanish teacher yesterday. She lives in Venezuela and her mother was just very, very sick in the hospital. And she was describing the hospital conditions. No water, no toilet paper, no food. Her mother, in critical condition, was in a hospital and did not have those amenities. They had to provide those from outside resources. That's how critical things are in Venezuela and certainly other places as well. Venezuela is particularly challenging right now. Their economic system is essentially broken, and um, I'm not sure how anybody survives there. But think about being in a situation like that. Well, this young gal developed these sutures for places where a person may have surgery and then be discharged very, very quickly. But then they have the opportunity to see if it does turn a deep purple, they will detect an infection where they can then address that situation. Well, we move on. Gal, I could stay on these. Here's a New Mexico girl wins a $250,000 top prize for inventing a tool that could prevent starvation in Africa. Now, what she did it was kind of, it's a process of using satellite imagery to see how crops are developing. And she developed patterns that were obvious from those things to detect then how, how, what kind of crops they were going to get. And so it, it helps in the distribution so that people don't end up starving. Let me tell you one more here and then we'll move on. Here's a homeschooled 12 year old boy who designed a COVID-19 protection device called the Safe Touch Pro. Now, he realized that people were concerned about getting germs. And if you go to the ATM or you go through the grocery store and you have to punch in your debit card number on a little keypad or you have to you know, go to the ATM, I mean, those those are the kind of things that go to a gas station and you have to grab that handle that 50 other people have grabbed today. And well, every after they sneezed, you know, whatever, you know, the scenario. 
So he made this little tool. It's really not that very complicated. It's kind of a 3D design. It's a little plastic tool that allows you to hold it. And then you can do all those functions. You can punch keypads. You can open door handles. You can open the door in your car. And so he's doing that. And now he's selling those at $14.99 each and selling a whole lot of them. It says dozens of new orders daily. And you can check that out if you want to. It's safetouchprohandle.com safetouchprohandle.com. But I love these ideas about teenagers, and of course, I want even pre-teenagers, 12 years old here that I just mentioned, who are coming up with these amazing inventions that are going to benefit a lot of people. Be sure you're paying attention. I mentioned last week, be sure you're paying attention for that voice you may hear or the white mustached uh, gentleman in white clothes that you may see in a dream as somebody last week where I talked about that. But be paying attention for those ideas that come along. Brian Tracy says, most of us have three or four ideas a year that would make us millionaires if we paid attention and did something with them. But so often we just dismiss them. Ah, you know, that's too simple. Somebody probably already did that. I can't do that. I don't have the resource. I don't have the money. And we dismiss the ideas and let them go. Well, don't do that. All right, let's jump into some challenging questions here. Dear Dan, I'm done. this is a little long, but I'm going to read this because it addresses so many questions that some of you may be dealing with as well. It's, it's um, pretty philosophical and complicated on the surface, but I don't think it's really that complicated. Dear Dan, I'm dealing with a big, big question and a lot of stress related to career and faith. For the last seven years, most of my adult life, the main thing I've wanted in my life was to be a massage therapist full-time. I've been knocking myself out just about continually trying to make this business work. Practically everyone I've ever worked with has been in clearly better shape physically and emotionally after a session than before. Many people say I'm a very gifted healer and also compliment other aspects of my business, um, but I still don't have enough clients. I can't attract new clients, and even when I do, something always, all caps, comes up. Either they lose their jobs and can't afford to come in anymore, or they move away, or they become too busy to come for more. At this point, my practice has enough steady clientele to be slightly profitable, but not anywhere near enough to support me. I'm running out of patience and ideas and where to go next in terms of trying new things, especially since I'm already in a lot of debt from past employment problems and don't really have any disposable income to think of. I can't take significant financial risk on behalf of my business anymore because I can't afford to lose much of anything more than I already have. So I'm stuck doing day jobs to get by financially. All these day jobs have been horrifying desk jobs where I do nothing but type at a computer all day, never talk to anybody, take abuse every step of the way, and get next to no compensation anyway. The job I have now is the worst yet, and I want desperately to get out and do something I can actually enjoy for people who appreciate it, but I can't make my massage practice take off. No matter how happy people are with my work, the most I can do is scrape by. I keep on diligently working on different approaches to get more clients, but at times I get to wondering if God is just not willing to let me have this, despite the fact that it's the only thing I've been passionate about career-wise since I finished college, and despite the fact that every other job I've had has been a living death and left me incredibly poor and in debt. Okay, now this next part here is really, really a big picture, very complicated, supposedly. She continues, 
I know that I'm suffering because I am attached to the idea of making this career of mine happen. I don't just want it, but rather I feel that I can't be okay without it. Everywhere I go, including Codependence Anonymous meetings, which I attend to help me heal from childhood trauma, everyone I talk to, everything I hear, everything I read, I'm getting the same message. Make a decision to hand your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand God. It sounds wise and logical, but frankly, I don't want, I don't want to do that. After everything I've been through, I'm afraid that somehow God's will for me is actually not to pursue the sole vocational passion he appears to have put in my heart, but to do this office work that feels like I'm swallowing poison every day. Maybe I'm projecting my family's patterns onto God. Child abuse survivors do that, probably even more so than those with healthier backgrounds, but I'm afraid that, counterintuitive though it is, God has given me a passion that is completely mismatched with the opportunities in my life. Do you think this is possible? That for some reason, the God I've always known as a loving one wants me to suffer through jobs I hate and that I hate myself for doing all my life. Wow. Okay. Now I know that was long and complicated, but it touches on some issues. You know, is this possible? Go to give you a passion, then block the doors for you to be able to do that. Force you to work in jobs that you hate, that you desperately want to get out of, that you've, where you feel like you're swallowing poison every day. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. And she says, if you choose to share this, please give me a pseudonym. Do not use my real name. All right. She had a very distinctive real name. So we're going to call her Leslie. Okay. And Leslie is panicked. Okay. Now, some of you may be feeling similar to this. There's something you really know you enjoy, something you really are passionate about, and yet there seem to be obstacles in doing that. Here, Leslie describes herself as a competent massage therapist, and yet she can't make that work. Okay, Leslie, I really suspect you're closer to the success you want than you know. Now, growing any business is a process. We start, we learn from our mistakes, we do things better, and ultimately we see that success come into view. Now, success is not luck. It's not being in the right place at the right time. It's not just wishing or hoping that God will smile on us. If massage is your passion, then by all means, grow that business. And no, I do not think that God has given you a passion that is completely mismatched with the opportunities in your life. I mean, that would be a, a vicious God, not a loving one. I mean, the Bible tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I mean, handing your life over to God does not mean walking away from your desires and passions. Rather, it means finding authentic ways to make those passions come alive. Now, here's a part that you need to be realistic about. You say, I can't attract new clients in, and even when I do, something always comes up. Either they lose their jobs, can't afford to come in anymore, they move away, they become too busy to come for more. If something always comes up, I think you need to take a fresh look at your services, how you're engaging with your clients. I mean, my experience is that it's really hard to find a great massage therapist. And if you are a great massage therapist, you're relating to your clients well, you're serving them well, you're making them feel important, you're taking care of their physical maladies. I can't imagine you not being covered up with work. I mean, we just moved recently after seven years of regular Friday massages for both Joanne and me every Friday with our massage therapist in Tennessee. And frankly, 
that was one of our biggest concerns about moving. I mean, more so than finding new doctors, new dentists, hair salon, restaurants. It was, how are we going to replace our massage therapist that we love so much? She was the one that we were most concerned about. And coming down here, what I did is I interviewed and I got massages from multiple massage therapists. And some, I decided very quickly, we would not be using. And then we found one who we decided, this is it. And we adore this lady who comes to our house on Fridays. Now, there's a lot of components here, and I can't dissect exactly what it is that's holding you back. I'm going to give you a couple tips here for how to move forward, but I want you to be real clear that your success as a massage therapist is going to involve multiple things, not just your understanding of physiology, not just your ability to manipulate muscles. It's going to involve more than that. Recently in our 48 Days Eagles community, I had Carrie Olson on. She's a voiceover talent. And she's done extremely well, makes over $200,000 a year as a voiceover talent, working from home as a primary caregiver for her children. But here's one thing she said that really struck me. She said, my success has more to do with relatability than voice talent. Relatability. Wow, we need to unpack that. What is relatability? Somebody who's easy to get along with, somebody who you like having in the room with you, somebody who's friendly, someone who you just enjoy their company. I mean, those are, she says, those have more to do, even though she's doing this just on a computer from her home, her relatability has more to do with her success than her voice talent. Now, I would encourage you to approach your business just as strategically as if you were opening a hardware store. I mean, do a business plan, be in intentional about your marketing plan. Just this week in our Monday Mentor Call, I had Rich Allen, who's a business coach, and he went through using a bicycle as a, a visual picture for the components of your business. Guess what the front wheel is? The front wheel is your sales process. It doesn't matter how great the frame is, how clearly a vision you have with the handlebars, that the systems you have in place, you know, with the frame, with the back tire, the front wheel is a sales process. And if that's not working well, you're going to be scraping along on a pavement with that flat tire. It's not going to work. The front wheel is your ability to win new customers. The hub of that front wheel is your ideal customer. The spokes are your marketing strategy. The tire is your step-by-step -step process that you're going to take every prospect through. Now here, just, just a quick recap. If you're working desk jobs, I suspect you're making maybe $15 an hour. So at 40 hours a week, that's $600 a week. If you did six massages at $100 a piece, you'd hit that in a week. Six in a week. You'd replicate that and then be ready to increase your income. And certainly you can do way more than six. I mean, most businesses need thousands of customers to survive. You have a business where... Well, let's just say if you had 20 customers who were getting massages twice a month, I mean, that's going to make you fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. I mean, what a great opportunity. I mean, just be realistic about what it is that's holding you back from this. I think you're really, really close. 
I mean, do a Google search for growing your massage business. I mean, you're going to find a wealth of information that can help you grow that. But believe that God has gifted you and given you a blank piece of paper on which to decide on, to draw out the life that you want. He's not mean and capricious as you suspect. But then take responsibility for your success and know that the door is as open to you as anyone in the world. God wants you to thrive and prosper and to do work that is fulfilling and meaningful and profitable. You know, I end every show with that. Well, I took a little longer on that than normal. Here's another one that's kind of a related question on selling. We all sell and we might as well learn how to do it well. Now here's the reader, 48 days reader who says, Dan, this is from Jackie. Last month, I bought 48 Days to the Work You Love based on a strong recommendation of Dave Ramsey. Much of the material in the first seven chapters is things I've already done in my life, but I found the way you organize the material very helpful. However, when I got to about day 20 and the corresponding point in the book, I stopped dead in my tracks. The process you advise, introductory letter, resume letter, follow-up phone call. In essence, that is a selling technique. Now, most people would benefit greatly by this method. However, I have found that throughout my career that my very worst skill is selling. And in fact, I hate to sell. I'm not saying selling is bad. I'm just recognizing that it is exactly the skill that I most dislike to do for myself. Now, what am I left with in reading your book is this. If a person does not have selling skills, either to find a job for someone else or to start their own business, they will not do well. I normally do not contact authors, but I felt this was a crucial problem as the first part of your book is all about having someone know their strengths and weaknesses, likes and dislikes before looking for a job. Boom. And then selling. So Jackie feels like she's dead in her tracks because we come to that point where you have to sell yourself. Well, Jackie, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is you're right. Your successes in life will be very, very limited without selling. But there's good news. Obviously, you can learn how to sell well. And I suspect you're already selling without realizing it. Describe any success in life that does not require selling. If you got into college, you had to sell yourself. If you got married, you had to sell yourself. If you've had any job, any job, you had to sell yourself. Keeping a job, you have to sell yourself every day. I think, you know, I want you to remove the word selling. Change, let's change it to serving. How can you serve somebody well? How can you help somebody solve a problem? If you can do that, you are selling. Now, the purest form of selling is sharing enthusiasm. I mean, if you see a great movie, tell 20 of your friends, you eat at a wonderful restaurant, share that with 30 people you see. No high pressure, no blue suede shoe selling that you may see from the old used car guys. None of that at all. But you are selling if you're sharing enthusiasm. Now, professional selling consists of four parts. 40% is building trust. If people don't trust you, it doesn't matter what you have. They're not going to buy. 30% is identifying needs. Do they need what it is you have to offer? If they don't, stop there. Go find somebody else. Go find another prospect. 20% then is product presentation, and 10% is what we call gaining commitment. 
With this process, you can get the job you want. You can start your own business. You can find a mate. You can write a best-selling book. If you do that first 90%, well, the 10% is just filling out the paperwork. But you've got to get past this idea that you can't sell, that you hate selling. If you, in fact, believe that, you're going to have a tough time presenting yourself in a way that people are going to want you on their team. It will sabotage your success in moving forward. But you can do this. Don't see yourself as some slimy salesperson. See yourself as having something of value to offer to people who need that. People who need your help in solving a problem that they have. Wow, you can do that. It's just, I think in your, it's just semantics. It's just changing your mindset, just tweaking it a little bit. You can do this and do it well. Well, a couple more here. Let's go with these. Rob says, Dan, you do such great work in, with helping people find jobs. Now that I have a growing business, thanks to you, what resources do you have for employers seeking great talent? Maybe a 48 days to the employee you love. And he says, would you want to collaborate on 48 days to the employee you love? Well, there's a whole lot of things we could do with the 48 days too. Uh, that's probably not going to be one that I'm going to um, develop fully. But you've already heard me talk about the fact everybody is hiring right now. It's very, very competitive. But you've got to be a place people want to be involved. You've got to be a person that people want to spend time with. You have to have a mission, a purpose, a vision, a cause for your business that people want to be a part of. If you can do those things, so I don't know what your business is, but if it's something that's that's fun, that serves people well, where there's a, a, a corporate culture there, a company culture where people want to be engaged. I mean, just it, think, think of the old Huckleberry Finn. I mean, think about that, where he was given the task of painting a fence. Well, who wants to paint a fence on a, a sunny afternoon when your friends are off playing somewhere? And then he had a friend come by and said, you know, gee, I'm sorry, you have to do this. He said, what do you mean, have to do this? Not everybody knows how to paint a fence well. You know, I'm one of the very few that can paint a fence really well. And his friend says, well, gee, can I try it? He said, well, only if you, you know, give me that candy bar that you've got in your hand there would i give you the opportunity well it so it unfolds like that you've got to be you've got to be huckleberry fan you've got to make what you're doing so appealing that other people are standing in line to have a chance to do the same thing i mean we experienced that i mean i'm golly happy to share that at 48 days we have people who are knocking on our door can we be involved can I volunteer? Can I take responsibility for this? Can I have a title in the 48 days community? Because we're doing a lot of fun things. We're seeing a lot of success. People share those successes. They have testimonials. They help each other readily. People want to be involved with something like that. And that's the kind of environment you're going to have to create in your business. Let me know what your business is and how that works. I'd love to hear more. Okay, Rita says, I'm 63 years old and been in my current job for 15 years. It's been challenging and enjoyable, but the last year my pervading thought has been, been there, done that. I could continue this course until retirement. Again, she's 63, but I want to leave and find my passion again. Am I too old to begin the process of creating my own business? I've always been very active and I'm in great health. Would love to do this, but honestly, I'm a little scared to make the leap. All right, Rita, let's just put it this in perspective. You're 63 years old. Our next door neighbor 
here is 87 years old. She's a delightful lady. Her name is Dot. She drives, oh, she's 87 years old. She drives as her daily driver, a little Audi TT. Now, if you aren't familiar with the cars, that's the little coupe. It's a little two-seater coupe that'll scream down the road. That's what she drives. She has in her garage an Audi A8 sedan, big, gorgeous, luxury car. If she has, you know, people come over and she needs more seats. She and her husband used to have, her husband now deceased, she's a widow, but her husband used to have multiple Porsche Audi dealerships around the country. So she's like, she's 87 years old. Golly, she's doing all kinds of things. Now you're 63. So that would be 24 years if you lived to be the age Dot is. If it took you six months to have your own business up and running, would it be okay? What if it took a full year? What if it took two years continuing what you're doing now, but really starting something on the side. What if it took that much time to really be doing what you want to do? Here's the question. That time is going to pass anyway. And if you could then spend the next 10 years or 15 years or 20 years doing what you really wanted, would it be worth it? I certainly would think so. I don't think you're ever too old to begin the process of doing what it is you really want to do. So be clear on what that is. Create a plan before you change anything in what you're doing now, but create a clear plan. And once you get the confidence to see that you can, in fact, develop your own business and what you really want to do, make the transition. It's not too late. Okay, this one says, hi, Dan, I'm a loss prevention manager for a big box retailer, and I have a business idea I've been thinking about for a long time. I'd like to teach small business owners and managers the principles of loss prevention. This would include security procedures, but it would primarily be geared toward preventing shoplifting and theft by employees. What do you think about this idea? What steps should I take to get started? Thanks for everything you do. Well, yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, that's a real concern for companies. My son, Kevin, one time, this was years ago when he was a teenager, was uh, recruited by a friend of ours who had a business much like you're describing. He would teach loss prevention. He would teach companies how to prevent theft. And one of the things that Kevin did was he stole from a major retailer a chainsaw just to see if it could be done. Obviously, nobody knew who he was. So he went in and he walked out with a chainsaw. Well, he didn't keep it, certainly, but it was just to prove how easy it was to do in the store. And while this guy was teaching the store how to prevent losses like that, I have a friend named David who worked, he worked at Costco for years. He was that guy. He would walk around and, and totally close just like any end of the shopper. I mean, he may have on a baseball hat and a t-shirt, but he was a loss prevention guy. And he would catch people who would have a big box. And they'd remove what was in the box and put a TV in there and then try to check out, you know, with a box that would sell for $27 when they actually had a TV. He, he would, the stories he had were phenomenal. So yeah, I mean, you could offer a three-hour workshop for $1,500 on how to do this. You could put together a course that you could sell for $197. So you'd have the scalability of that and being able to sell that to lots and lots of stores. So there's a lot of ways put together five or six different ways you could share your information with people and how you could structure that. Then just get out and knock on some doors, talk to some companies, ask them, what would you be interested in if this training were available? So put it together like any other business plan. I love the idea. It's a very, very valid idea. 
And if you've got a background to make you an expert in that, absolutely you can do that. Okay, one more. Eric says, um, Dan, thanks for sharing your abundant vision wisdom with me via your 40 days podcast. You've been instrumental in helping me transition from an employee to an entrepreneur. I work as a consultant to pay the bills. I'm also a professional network marketer and to top it off, I'm a comedian. Uh, since listening to you, I've been consistently blogging. My Google Analytics reported I had almost 1,000 visitors last month. That's a big jump from prior. Could you give me some tips and resources on how to grow my comedy blog following and deliver more value to them? Thank you for inspiring me to write my thoughts. Without your podcast, I doubt I would have resurrected my blog. Regards to you, your family, and all the 40 Days community. Here's what I would suggest. There's nothing I've ever done that is more powerful and growing an audience than giving that audience a way to interact with each other. Now, even here in the podcast, as you know, I invite people to submit questions. Just send your questions in to askdan at 40days.com. So there's that sense of being involved with this when people hear their question. and We let them know that we're going to be answering their question. Those kind of, that kind of two-way interaction, you know, we do that. But then we put together uh, the 48 Days community. First, we had 48days.net, and now we have the 48 Days Eagles community. You can check that out, 48dayseagles.com. That's the most powerful thing I've done to grow an audience because people can communicate with each other. So if you have people that are interested in your comedy, give them a way to talk to each other, not just top down, not just one directional from you with your blog, but they can cross pollinate with each other, interact, have fun, share jokes, whatever. So that implies having a community. It could be a a closed Facebook group or an open Facebook group for that matter. It could be something on mighty networks, like what we do with the 48 days Eagles community, but something like that, that will help you allow them to interact with each other. I think will be the most powerful thing that I could possibly suggest that you could do to grow your audience all right hey we're going to wrap with that next week i'm going to be talking with my friend michael hyatt he's got a new book out win at work and succeed at life we're going to be talking about this work-life balance how do you how can you be extremely successful at work and also at home michael's had some challenges in that area he's overcome them got some principles to help us in that arena you want to be make sure that you listen in for that again our quotation for today was from mary Kay ash pretend that every single person you meet has a sign around his or her neck that says make me feel important not only will you succeed in sales you will succeed in life hey check out our resource our upcoming webinar 48days.com slash webinar i'm going to be sharing some of my best information i can share about how you can explode your success no matter what it is, no matter what direction you're going in that. If you're working a job or if you want to start your own business, I'm going to give you some principles in 48days.com slash webinar. Hey, I wish you well in your path toward the success that you want. This is a very individualized process. You determine what success looks like for you and then create a plan to move in that direction. But wherever you are in that path, thanks for being part of this growing community. Shoot your questions into me at askdan at 48days.com and We appreciate you being part of this community. I feel honored to unpack these questions each week. Congratulations for being part of this growing community where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.